Well, good morning. My name is Phil Clarsen, and I have the privilege of sharing with you this morning. Um, my lovely wife and I have two kids, Jonathan and Elizabeth. Just Jonathan's here this morning. Uh, we lead a community group here, and we, both, we also both teach here at Cedar College. And gee, Tom Tom, if he was in my class, I'd need to have a chat with Tom Tom, because when you put your hand up, you don't call out. You just put your hand up. So maybe next time, Tom Tom, I don't know where he's gone right now, but he needs to work on that, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, let's, let's open today in prayer. Father, we thank you today that we get to spend time in your word. We pray that, that you may speak to us this morning, that we may hear clearly from you about how good you are as our shepherd and how we can surrender our life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just as we get started, I just need to tell you that I come, was born in Canada, but I've lived here for a long time, and so I have this weird sort of hybrid accent. So don't spend the whole sermon going, oh, gee, where is, he? where is that accent from? I've heard all kinds of guesses, Irish, English, everything, um, but it's, I'm Canadian, but Australian. I don't know. That's sort of you know, how it is. Um, we're looking at the moment in this sort of short series in Growing in Grace, and Graham has kindly given me the privilege of speaking on the grace of surrender. And I need to start off by saying that I am not very good at surrendering. And so thanks, Graham, for that. Yeah, it's a real blessing to speak on that. Yeah, great job. Yeah, maybe next time you can give me an easier topic. Yeah, we're get, if we're going to understand grace, we're going to need to know what it means. And so in the Bible, there's 131 times that we hear the word grace. And 121 of those are found in the New Testament. And Paul uses a lot of them. He uses 86 of those. He's a bit greedy. He uses it a lot. Yeah? Um, but if we look at grace, we can break it down sort of into two meanings. And the first one we're probably familiar with if we've been in church a little bit is the sense of grace being this undeserved favor. If we look in Ephesians 2, it's, Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What an amazing text. I could almost just stop here, couldn't you? Yeah? For by grace you have been saved. So we have this sense of this understanding of grace being this undeserved favor that God has showed us. We also see the word used in the sense of this, this power or this life like this powerful living, I've called it, this power of God in our lives. If we look in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says that um, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So the sense of this grace being this, this God working in us as well. If we jump across to surrender, we have this idea of surrender, of this giving up control, submitting to another authority, and then like letting go of our claims? Gee, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I'm pretty uncomfortable on both sides. I'm not really comfortable with grace and surrendering, no thanks. We think that, I think that favor sometimes is something that we earn, that we, we, should, we should work for the favor that we get. That is something that we have to, we can buy or we can, we can get by doing the right things. And if I want to be powerful, well, I need to do more weights. I need to go to the gym. Maybe if I want power, I can get more influence online or I can 
do more work and work with the right people so they give me you know, a position of power. And gee, surrender? I don't like surrender. <laughs> you imagine your favorite football team just walking out on the field and they're going, ah, oh, no, guys, we surrender to you. You imagine that? That'd be crazy. It'd be front page of every paper in the world. No boxer would ever enter the ring and then just lay down and go, oh yeah, you win. You've got me here. And yet this is what we're trying to talk about this morning, the grace of surrender. Got to remember, firstly, who we're surrendering to. You can't surrender to no one. It's weird, yeah? You have to surrender to someone. So when we think about the grace of surrender this morning, we're thinking about surrendering to someone that's not even a lot less than us. This person is not equal to us. They're not a little bit better than us. The person that we're surrendering is far superior to us. It's not even a fair battle. Be like my son Jonathan, racing the Olympic champion of marathon running in a marathon. That's not even fair, but this comparison is even worse than that. He'd think he could win, but he couldn't, yeah? Get smashed, and we'd get smashed as well. The person that we're surrendering to is the creator of the world. It's not someone that's like just a bit better than us. It's not even, not even we can't even put those two things together. The truth is that I, for my sin, deserve death. That's what I deserve. I deserve punishment. And when we look at our lives, we're not really powerful. When the truth's told, we can't change people. We can't save people. We can't heal them. We can't create galaxies. We can't control the weather. We can't be everywhere at the same time. And God here offers us this free gift the gift of his undeserved favor towards us and his power at work in us. We didn't earn that. We don't deserve it. We can't buy it. And yet here he is, he's giving it to us. And he's asking us this morning to surrender, to give up control. So we can either continue believing that, ah, oh, gee, if I, if I can get a little bit more, if I can make a bit more money or if I can do a few more good things or if I can get to the right job or have the right house or the right car or the right experience, I'll be all right. Or we can just say, God, I surrender to you. I give it up. I give control up to you. In Psalm 23, David paints the picture of this, of what our good shepherd is and that he cares for us. This is a good shepherd that's not distant, he's not far away, he's not evil, he's not angry, he's a good shepherd that's trying to lay down his life for his sheep. Each year as a teacher, I, I teach my year threes, Psalm 23. It's nice to see Jasmine here. Yeah, last year we did it, yeah. In the holidays, Jasmine, what I did is I went and read a book yeah, called, um, what is it called? It's called The Shepherd Look at Psalm 23, that's what it's called. And I found out lots of new information and then I gave that information to Josh and he used it in his talk. And so I'm gonna use the same information now. And so that's my reference. If there's any English teachers out here at university lectures, that's my reference, okay? Everything is referenced. If it's good, it's probably from A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. Amazing book, you should read it, yeah? It's great, yeah? So, so let's jump in and have a bit of a look, yeah? 
David starts off like this. He starts off and he says, I'm my own shepherd. That's what we like to write sometimes, isn't it? Yep, I'm my own boss. I'm pretty good at it as well. I don't, I don't think you'll find that in the Bible. Certainly, Vanit didn't read that one out, yeah? But Vanit did say this. He said, oh, I am a good shepherd. David was a good shepherd, but he didn't write that. We sometimes think that we're a good shepherd, don't we? But he didn't write that. David wrote this. He wrote that the Lord is my shepherd. Now, I'm not a farmer. Um, just full disclosure, I'm not a farmer. I don't care for any animals, yeah? Um, I try to stay as far away from that as possible. Um, but I've done some reading on sheep, yeah? Because we're talking about sheep. And uh, we're not thinking about Sean the sheep this morning. So when he thinks sheep, let's not think Sean the sheep. That's not the right idea, yeah? Sean the sheep is very clever. Most sheep are not clever at all, yeah? Sheep cannot look after themselves, they cannot grow their own food. They cannot locate their food or the water that they need. They cannot get their own haircut. Yeah? They cannot get rid of the bugs or flies that bother them all the time. Sheep are useless without a shepherd. In fact, probably worse, sheep are dead without a shepherd. And here David says, yep, that's me. The Lord's my shepherd, and I'm happy to be his sheep. That's amazing. Now, David here uses the personal name for Lord. It's not that my caps lock got stuck on when I did the PowerPoint. We, when we see L-O-R-D in caps, it's referring to Yahweh, the name of God that's revealed in the burning bush. I am who I am. That's the name of God that David's using here. If we're going to surrender, if we're going to give up our lives, it better be to the right person or the right God. And so here David's saying, it's the Lord who's my shepherd, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, who parted the Red Seas, that sent the plagues. It's that God that's his shepherd, who redeems his people and saves them, who who rescues them with his righteous right hand. It's that God that's the shepherd. It's so easy to get a really small view of God, isn't it? He's just here for me and my needs and things that I want, or he's just with me. And here David's pointing us really big. He's saying, the Lord's my shepherd, the God that made the universe. He's the one that cares for me. He's the one that knows what I need. And David then continues and he says, oh, I shall want lots, lots and lots. If that was my life, that's probably what I'd write, isn't it? Yeah? Or he writes, I shall have everything I want. Mm, yes, I sometimes feel like that. I'm going to work really hard. David could have had everything he wanted. He had lots of money. David wrote this. He said, I shall not want Oh, it's not very comfortable, is it? It's making me feel great. The God that created the heavens and the earth knows what David needs. He knows what he, he, knows what he wants, but he's gonna provide for David's needs. That's pretty amazing. The God of the universe is gonna come down and know David well enough that David has nothing to want for. 
if I went through my life, I could probably think of 10,000 reasons, the things that I want. <laughs> I'd spend the next 10 minutes listing to, off to you all the things that I want, things that I'd like for my family, the things I'd like to buy, the holidays I'd like to go on, the things that I like out of my job. And I could probably tell you at the end, if I got some of those, I'd, make, I'd be a bit happier, make my life a little bit easier. And just a few weeks ago, it's near the end of the term, and as a teacher, end of the term is busy. It's report season, and we're busy writing reports. And trying to escape the craziness of doing all this work, I just found I wanted to buy things. Just, just buy things all the time. And we'd go shops, and I'd buy things, and then I'd want to buy more things. And I'd spend my evenings, once I'd done some work, you know, getting good carts together online of different stuff, and I'd text Josh about cool Lego that he could buy, and he's thankful for that, but that's, that's missed the point, isn't it? Yeah? Um, so, so easily, I'm sucked into thinking that if I can just get these things, then I'll be happy. It's going to fill some hole that's in my life. When I look to the shepherd, when I look to him, I'm forced to acknowledge two things. Neither of the things I'm, I want to do, I need to do, is that I really can't provide for my needs. I don't really know what's best. And the second thing is that he does. He knows what's best for me. Could you imagine the sheep going up to the shepherd and saying, oh, excuse me, um, I think I got this. I think I can do it by myself. I know what I need. I can grow my own crops. I'll go and get myself a haircut. I'll go and clean myself up and get the right medication. Sheep can't do that. And here I am so quick in my own life to do that to God. I got it. I'll sort it out. We're talking about the grace of surrender. And this morning I wonder what it is that you need to surrender, the wants that you're bringing in, the huge things that you want for, and the little things. But let us be reminded this morning that it's actually him that knows what we need, and it's him that cares for us. The shepherd loves us. The shepherd cares for us. The shepherd knows what we need, and he wants to provide it for us. David goes on, and he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. What a wonderful line. As Tom Tom said, sheep will only lie down if they're free of four things. If they're free from danger and hunger and bugs and flies and fighting with others. Those are the things that sheep needs. And we need those same things. It stands to reason that if a shepherd or sheep trust the shepherd, then they're going to be able to lie down in green pastures, aren't they? If they believe that the shepherd's going to provide what they need, they're free of those things and then they can lay down. Imagine today when you came in and you greeted someone and you said, oh, how you doing? And that person responded by saying, man, I am rejuvenated. I am refreshed. I've got so much energy. You'd be thinking, gee, What's that person on? What's going on? Must have had a great coffee on the terrace. Yeah. We're so tired, aren't we? We're so, we're so busy. We're so exhausted. And yet we've got an invitation from God 
lie down in green pastures yeah, to rest. The end of the school term is probably worse than the middle of the school term in the sense of being busy for teachers. The end of the school term is not only filled with reports, we have the privilege of looking at lots of other fun stuff like class lists and stationary orders and Kris Kringle and end of year concerts and everything, and all these things are really great. But I find as the term comes to an end that it gets busier and busier and busier. And so instead of sort of tapering off and just chilling out and go, ah, oh, yeah, holidays are awesome, yeah? Um, it's like a ramp. And the closer you get to the line, the steeper the ramp gets. And despite the fact that you have less and less energy, you need to provide more and more energy in this. And so what happens is at the end of term is I find a really difficult time where I'm running at such pace that suddenly you're like, well, it's the end of the term. And I continue to run at that pace. A few years ago, I um, had a great idea in the last few weeks of term to build a bookcase for my class. Because what my class really needed was a bookcase. That is ridiculous, yeah? Um, and so I went to Jeff, our business manager, I said, uh, look, if I build a, book, a bookcase, like, can I be reimbursed for it? And Jeff kindly said, let's see the bookcase before I reimburse you for it. Smart move. <laughs> the problem with this bookcase is that I'd never done any woodwork in my life. <laughs> the more I think about it, the more I think it's just such a crazy idea. The last time I'd done any woodwork was probably like tech at school. That's, and I made something like a, you know, a little vase thing out of wood. All my power tools at home have been gifted to me by other people because they don't want them anymore. And so they're rusted out, horrible things. And I thought I had, you know, I had a great idea. What I really need is a bookcase for my class. And so I went to Bunnings and bought all the materials, looked at a few pictures online and thought, oh, gee, I've got this. And here I am in the first week of my school holidays, like 10.30 at night, outside on our like back deck thing with a handsaw, like sawing away at this wood, trying to build this, this bookcase. I didn't bring it into you. It probably would have fallen apart in the car getting it here. Jason Grinney would be horrified, horrified. It It would look good from the back of the room, but if you got anywhere close, you'd be like, oh, gee, that needs a lot of work. How often in our lives are we doing things that are a bit like my bookcase? Yeah? We think in the moment, in that moment, I thought the bookcase was the most important thing that I'd ever built in my life. And I look back on it now and think, gee, that was ridiculous. Yeah, I totally missed it. We're so busy with work. We're so busy online. We're so busy with our side hustles and our passion projects and our hobbies. We're busy trying to make money and keep our money and get famous and do more and be more productive. And in the moment, we think those things are so important. I wonder if they're a bit like the bookcase. The time, we think they're so important, but we look back and think, gee, it's really lacked importance. The shepherd is inviting us today to lay down in green pastures. The shepherd doesn't jump on our back and push us to the ground and say, lie down, sheep, but he provides everything that we need to lay down in green pastures. Jesus says in Matthew 
Cool. Can we go to the next slide? Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Need a rest today? It's an opportunity from the shepherd that says, it's all right to lay down. It's all right to rest. I've got some green pasture here for you. You can leave your worries and all the things that you think are important, just give them to me, surrender them to me, and I'll give you rest. We're just gonna look at one more bit. He says, David writes, he leads me beside quiet waters and he restores my soul. Not only does the shepherd make us lie down in green pastures, but he also takes us beside quiet waters and he restores our soul. Elephants are really good at locating water. They can find it in dry creek beds. It's amazing what they can do. Sheep can't do that. Sheep don't drink from fast flowing water. They get scared. And if sheep go in water, they sink. So they try to stay away from water. Sheep, however, do like to find water in puddles and water holes that are disease infested. They don't know the difference. So the sheep need a shepherd to find them quiet waters. They can't do it on their own. And just like Josh said, they get cast. They end up on their back and they're stuck there. They can't roll themselves back over. They're dead if the shepherd doesn't find them. They have to find, the shepherd must find them to return them to the fold. How often in our lives are we so quick to think of things that are gonna quench our thirst? If only I had this. Oh, if I got that, then I'd be all right. Then I'd, I'd be okay. How often in our life are we quick to think of things that restore our soul? Could just do this, read this, watch this. I'll be all right. I can fix it myself. And here David's saying, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. When I was about 20 years old, I was studying at Bible college, I was coordinating a youth ministry, and I was working. And suddenly, one week, my two Christian parents went from happily married to separated. And I went out on that Friday night, I watched my dad leave home, and I went out to lead the youth ministry on that Friday night. I was so broken. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to, who to turn to. I was in desperate need of the restoring of my soul. However, what I thought was gonna fix it was more work. And good work, work at church. If I could just work harder, it'll be all right. So I plunged myself into ministry working harder, trying to do more, great ideas, all this stuff. And instead what happened was over the next six months, my life just fell apart. I remember that time leading an Easter camp and I was one of the first people down the front for the altar call. 
I was just so broken. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to turn to. And so in the end, I, I reached this point where I just couldn't go on anymore. I was burnt out. And it was this horrible realization in my life that I couldn't do it anymore. I didn't know what was next. I didn't know what to do, but I just couldn't do it anymore. So I had to go to my pastor at the time and say, I need to step down from youth ministry. And I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know what was going to happen. I just couldn't do it. And it was over the next few years that God graciously restored my soul. Here I was, depressed, burnt out, almost this forced surrender. I thought I was useless, discarded on the pile. Someone else would come in, sort it out. Because I had come to believe somehow, despite going to church my whole life, that faith in God was dependent on me, on what I did, that I was the key stakeholder, that it hinged on what my righteousness and my actions, that I needed to serve more and be more involved and pray more and give more, and that that somehow would keep me connected to God. And it was about my usefulness, my faith. And what I came to realize in my burnout was this amazing reality as actually God that holds on to us. Here I was thinking that, gee, I've got to cling to God. And it's God that holds on to us. In Isaiah 40, verse 10, this is God speaking. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Verse 13, they haven't got it yet. He goes again, he says, for I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. You come here this morning, you're exhausted, you're wrecked, beyond tired. Your knuckles are white from holding on. Can I tell you this morning, it's all right to let go. It's all right to trust God, to surrender to him. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. All those things are good. It's good to serve. It's good to be in church. But if it's hinging on that, it's not faith. Our faith's in God. He's got us. It's a bit weird thing to say in church, to let go. Let's give it over to God. Let's surrender to him. The beautiful thing was that in the midst of that, God did amazing things in my life. Here I was, I thought I was gone. I thought I was totally broken. I had nothing to offer. And God did something beautiful in my life. The irony was that in the midst of that, I had the best, come of the best conversations I've ever had with people. And these conversations would often start off with me going, 
my life's a mess at the moment. I'm so broken, I've got nothing to offer. I've got nothing to give at the moment. I'm so tired. And Joe, the other person would say, yeah, me too. (laughs) And then because I could pin it on nothing else, I'd talk about how good God is. I'd say, God's got me. He's rescued me. He's saved me. Not because of something I did, because he loves me and he cares for me. He loves me in my brokenness. He loves me in my surrender. He hasn't quit on me. He hasn't given up on me. He hasn't discarded me. He's restored my soul. And he can restore your soul too. They're the best conversations. And so as the band comes up, I'd invite us to remember firstly how good our shepherd is. That it's he that provides for us even when we are so selfish. It's him that makes us lie down in green pastures. Even when we refuse to rest, it's him that leads us beside quiet waters. And it's him that restores us. Even when we try to fix ourselves, we think we can do it by ourselves. It's about him, our good shepherd. He's the one that makes this surrender possible. And so I'd invite you this morning to surrender to him. He loves you. He cares for you. He knows you. And because of all that, we get to surrender to him. We get to surrender the big things in our life and the little things. And so as the band sings, I'd encourage you to spend time with God, to give over those things to Him that you're holding on to. The things that you think you can fix on your own, the things that you think you need and you want. I just encourage you this morning, just give them to God. Just surrender them to Him and trust that our good shepherd loves you enough and knows you best, that he's got the right things in store for your life. Let's pray. Father, we're not very good at this surrendering thing. We don't really wanna give over control to you. We're really comfortable with controlling things ourselves. And yet when we look at you and we see the goodness that you have, we're amazed that you love us and that you care for us and that you know us and that you call us to rest and you want to restore our soul. And so this morning, we wanna be people that surrender to you, surrender control over to you. Help us to give that to you. Help us to take our hands off and trust that you've got us, that you hold us with your right hand. And Father, we thank you that you love us and care for us, even when we've turned our back on you. May we be people that live surrendered lives to you. In your name, amen.